0: All right, so today on the new Howl Podcast, we have Brian Green. How are you today, Brian? I am doing wonderful, it's hot outside. I'm glad to be here, though. It is, it is. Um, so obviously every guest that comes on, I'm always thinking ahead, like what I want to talk about. it. But for you, I was like, how did I meet Brian? Where did we officially meet? I, and if I remember correctly, it was, we met on stage.
1: We met, we, we were sharing a stage. You were a young alumni, and I was the old and decrepit alumni that <laughs> was being honored that night. So if you were <laughs> old and decrepit then, what are you today? Are you oh, still? My goodness. <laughs>
0: Hall of Fame, maybe of Fame. I don't know. <laughs> so, so Brian, one of one of the um, the main businesses you run, it's called Always Best Home Care, right? Always Best Care, yes. Always the best care. And what can you describe for the audience what that is, and and maybe your role in that organization?
1: Certainly. So I'm the uh, Always Best Care. First of all, is a franchise that started out in California. We bought in a franchise in 2010, so we've been in business for 13 years. Home, Always Best Care is a home care and a home health. Home care is for non medical needs. I'm in a home and community-based space. And then home health is when we do skilled. when you have a skilled nurse, or therapist come out in the home also and provide care to individuals. Mostly seniors, but we support people that have had a hip or knee replacement, a back injury. Or if you're recovering from a stroke or battling cancer, these days, if you're recovering from COVID, we come out and we help you anywhere from two hours to 24 hour living. Amazing. And, and you've been doing that for now 13
0: years. And how many employees do you have in that business?
1: Well, I guess we're probably just south of a thousand employees, okay? Give or take, you know. We, we're always looking for employees. There is a labor shortage. Shout out to sponsored <laughs> always best care today on the yes, <laughs> yes, yes. We love, we love the sponsor, but yes, just just south of of. Probably 1,000 employees
0: these days. Wow. And, then, and then your demographic, are you just in Philadelphia? Where Talk no. about where you're based out of.
1: A so we have five offices. We have three in Pennsylvania and two in Delaware. We service the whole state of Delaware, and we service the southeastern Pennsylvania area, Philadelphia, and surrounding counties. Great. So every, every county mostly except for um, Chester County. Right, we're we're penetrated deeply all of Philadelphia, um, lower to lower to almost mid Bucks County, and then most of Delaware County and eastern Montgomery County. So today, you're running a company, thousand people,
0: multi-state. You didn't just start there. You didn't just snap your fingers and show up to that. Talk talk to me about you know maybe how you got in. Like, what was your first business venture? If it, it wasn't even that one, like, what did you start out doing in business? Like
1: well you know it's interesting the story is really simple i was um padded in a corporate america job with a multimedia giant and my number came up and so they laid me off at the time frame of the outro of bush and the intro of obama and so i was on the street looking and competing with people that had 10 15 20 years my senior experience were willing to work for less And, you know, quite frankly, um, it was a really low time in my life, to be honest with you. My self-esteem was beat up. I went from a cushy job to now being out on the street. And so back then, the career fairs were even monikered pink slip parties because everybody was on the street looking for for a job. Anyway, um, I got invited to a career fair slash diversity pink slip party out at the Wells Fargo in Philadelphia. And I almost didn't go. Because my self-esteem was just so low, Brian. It was really, I was really in a defeated, really wallowing depression. And anyway, I did go. And this was like 08, 09? This was, this was 09.
0: 09. So right, the crash happened, right? This was
1: like, everyone's getting laid off
0: and... You're like, what's next?
1: You have no so, clue. So listen to yeah. the story. So listen, check this out. So I was, um, I went, I put on a suit and went out there. And as I suspected, it was a lot of employees there accepting resumes, but nobody was really engaging you. And if you ever been to the Wells Fargo, the floor plan is kind of an oval. Yeah. And then I looked up and it was a long line of people standing in line for this one employer, but because it was oval, I couldn't see who the employer was. Something inside me said, walk up to the front and see who that employer was. And I'm glad I did, it was the employer that laid me off. <laughs> and you know, and it was Comcast. I'll just go ahead and yeah. say it, it was Comcast. Right. Um. Anyhow, and I just felt like, wow, the people that just handled my service and that kind of thing, it was like a real punch in the gut. Well, now they're hiring new people. Look. <laughs> And I, as I'm walking away from there, this non-assuming gentleman jumps in my face and says, have you ever thought of opening up your own business? And I'm like, who in the world, who in the hell will open up a business in the bowels of the recession? Who does that? And he says something like, um, humor me. If you could open up your own business, what would it be? And I said very flippantly, a strip club. And I <laughs> and I was dead serious. What else is recession proof, right? Yeah. Look, and so he laughed. He like our gut laugh. He said, you're serious. And I just said, listen, man, get to it. What are you selling? And yeah. you know, I've been on the street for almost a year and a half now. What's going on? And so he says, let me see your resume. I show him my resume. He says, well, a lot of people were saying at that time, you can't find a job. And I thought, you know, when you don't have a job and <laughs> somebody tells you about that resume, it doesn't feel good either. And so something inside me said, stop being flip this is the only gentleman here that's talking to you and engaging you, worth a try to see what he's talking about. And so what ended up happening was he invited me back to his office in Fort Washington, and he introduced me to four turnkey operations. The one that appealed to me the most was home care. Mm-hmm. I come from a very big family on both sides, and because my mother started way young, I had the benefit of both sets of grandparents, and for a very long time, I had both of my great-grandmothers. Yeah. And their peer group. So I understood what it meant to have a big family, but you need additional help. I of understood course. it from that perspective. But actually starting a business, I'd always work for somebody else. So, you know, coming into, coming into the fold of entrepreneurship, you, you got to make payroll. <laughs> Absolutely. You got you to gotta get people to trust you. And if you know anything about seniors, they are super critical and they let you know exactly where you stand. And the social workers are super protective of their seniors. So breaking it that way was, you know, was a was a a hill decline, but we we overcame it. The franchise, um, their business model suggested that you go after private pay. Mm-hmm. Well, the franchise started out in California, so it's a different income median out there altogether. And just
0: the private pay versus like Medicaid or Medicare, right? Like, right. so you have, hey, I'll pay for my in-home healthcare; it's straight up cash versus, hey, the government's going to help with that. So that, right, that's the, I just want to make sure that's exactly okay. what you
1: got your finger on the pulse. Yep. And so, you know, when we would go out and make calls to refer potential referral sources, they would almost excuse us from the meeting when we said we weren't Medicaid certified. And so we, we took that back to the franchisor and they thought, you know, they thought we were really crazy to get with Medicaid. And we were like, well, on the East Coast, this is what where it's at. This is where all the clients are. Mm-hmm. So I went against the grain and I got Medicaid certified. And 13 years later, I've been number one and two in the business now. I've been number one in the business for the last 11 years. Yep. So
0: 11 out of 13 and, and years you I'm were kind be- of spearheading that like are you the first one to get medicaid approved in the state or what like, no talk about i that? wasn't
1: the first one i was the first one to really take medicaid seriously um i think a lot of people first of all the, the reimbursement rate for medicaid is different to the demographic yeah like pennsylvania has a different medicaid rate versus delaware for mm-hmm. instance so you know you have franchise owners around the country and then they also do, we also do placement services, too. When people decide they want to downsize, right-size, and move into a continual care retirement community, we, we do that, too. Um, but mostly, people really weren't paying a lot of attention to Medicaid until I started doing it. And then for some people around the country, it made sense because the reimbursement rate made sense. You could pay a, a livable wage or, or a decent wage but a lot of places didn't make sense at that time. And so it was just like, no. And I, I got a really strange response from the franchisor at that time. They really weren't supportive of it mm-hmm. at all. Um, and they thought, you know, my success was going to be short-lived. And, well, here we are today. I mean, in regulatory, you know, like, like a lot of things with healthcare and, and insurance and that kind of thing, it is a highly regulated field mm-hmm. and fraud, waste, and abuse is right at the top of the, see it of on the ECP,
0: yeah, I mean, abuse is, comes with
1: anything. The good and the bad comes with everything that's out. Everything, but starting a business, I was just telling some folks, I was just telling a new owner just today, they came over to see our operation. Um, I was just encouraging them that, you know, it was really, really, really tough in the beginning. You know, I, I opened the doors July 15th, 2010. I didn't get my first client until October around Halloween. Second client, not until December. Can, can we can we focus in on that time for a second? Like,
0: you know, obviously a lot of a lot of people that are getting into business or trying to start business, right? They 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 know there's hurdles. They just a lot of times. And that's what stops them. Can you can you maybe talk about some of those initial maybe what if scenarios you had in your mind or like this isn't going to like how did you work through that first like wow. July? Talk about like the July to October for me. Like, what was that like? And talk about, you know, if you sure. what you can remember from that time period.
1: So I had so I had uh, brought my very good friend at the time, Tony Bellardino, God rest his soul. Um, Tony Bellardino was doing real estate up in Lower Bucks County and back then it was no real estate. Mm. And then I also brought my one paternal aunt, my father's older sister, into the business and they both worked for a period of time for free. Yeah. Let's start with that. Of course. So it's one thing for somebody to tell you that they believe in your story, they believe in your dream. It's a whole different thing to put sweat equity into it. Mm. So, you know, I had free labor. OK, um, then the other part of it was, you know, when the phone rang, I'll never forget, we were in a 500 square foot office in Bristol. So you had we had one phone, which caught with call waiting. We didn't have <laughs> an elaborate. Big, yeah, system. I bet there's
0: people on this podcast listening to that don't know what the hell call waiting is. And that's, yeah, that's, that's awesome. true. Yes, we have
1: one line and you somebody buzzes into your phone. You don't push an extension. <laughs> So we, we had the, the real humble beginnings. And then for our marketing materials, we didn't have like a a, a real like table, moniker tablecloth or a pop-up screen anything like that. My aunt, who had just gotten laid off from one of the craft stores, made all of our stuff, which we still have actually, um, took a poster board and we just took uh, stock photos of seniors getting home care and that would be it. And so when we would show up to like some of these, <laughs> Uh, health fairs, you know, I would have a bowl of dollar store candy yep. and, and it, it would bring people to the table. The candy would, you know, I, we had postcards instead of brochures mm-hmm. and it was just really, really that. But from a, a standpoint of hurdles, it was really just kind of breaking into an oversaturated market then and getting people to trust you. Mm-hmm. Um, really believing in yourself. And so I had a job, by the way, I had just started a job running the county department down in Delaware. Mm -hmm. And my trek used to be from South Jersey to Wilmington, back up to Bristol. So Tony and I, Val, would be taking calls or Tony would go out on the street and try to beat the pavement for business. Meeting with discharge and, planners. And who's Tony again? Tony's the Tony Belladino was his last um, position with us before he passed away. Tony passed. Rest in peace, to Tony. He passed away in October twenty one. But at that point, he was the director of operations. Gotcha. So he was kind of running in the trenches every day for you, making sure every yeah. single day. Yep. Um, I Valerie answered the phone, and she aunt, she <laughs> she she was our office person, our office coordinator. And so she would set up the initial paperwork for the caregivers that would come in. Tony would interview them. And then I would take them out to cases. Yep. And when we won when we started win business, um I would, you know, we was like a match home care is like a matchmaking gig, if you yeah. will. You put the kid care- the caregiver that you think was gonna be best suited to handle the client. And there's a really interesting dynamic because there's generations sometimes between the caregiver and the, and the senior so like you just said you know call waiting those are all kinds of things <laughs> that we deal with now honestly with um, with with the with, with the population of clients and actual caregivers Um, And the reason why I say that is because one of the proudest things I have, Brian, of of starting this business and maintaining it is that I've built a really multicultural Mm cast, if you will. But more and more what's become apparent in in simple conversation is that it's intergenerational. So, you know, you have some people as young as 18 and some people as old as 80 in the workforce. So your messaging is very important. And likewise, we take care of people 18 and over. So messaging is key. But back then... It was really slow. I mean, I remember days when we would wait. So interestingly enough, I did start off with Private Pay. So it would be days that we would be waiting for the mailman to come. God, hopefully, is the check in there? check there? Oh, no, I guess oh, it's Thursday. It's, not fr- it's Friday. It's not here. I guess we're waiting until Monday. Does he deliver on Saturdays? Oh, no. <laughs> Can I share a story with you how it was? So back then, Private Pay covered the little Medicaid business that we had. So I had a client, I'll never forget her. Um, I don't want to say her name because it's HIPAA. But anyhow, she was our first live-in. Live-in like care living Live-in care, which is yeah. a, from a billable charge, is probably like one of the highest charges yeah. you can get, right? Yeah. Next to 24-7 care. And she was already determined to really have not long to live anyway when we took her on as a patient. But her daughter was just worn out. And i never forget, um, they paid on time. In fact, they paid ahead of time. Yeah. So that one client paid for probably the, <laughs> the small business that I had. Yeah. So when she passed away, I was invited to the funeral and I went. It was at a funeral home and it was a, it was, and it was a white family. So, you know, it was not many people of color there. Not mean black people there. So you had one brother, me, <laughs> sitting at this funeral and I got really emotional. I got my shoulders started shaking and everything like that. And I could hear people talking behind me and around me like, Who's that, who's, the, who's that guy? Who's the black guy over there crying? What's going on? Did he know her? Like, what, did he know who she was? And I could hear the daughter saying, oh, he's the owner of this new home care she's always best care. They're really sensitive and la la And I'm just thinking to myself, oh my God, how am I going to make rent? How am I going to pay? I mean, oh, I'm sad that she God. died, but I was really sad that she no more checks was coming in. Yep. So I was really emotional and that kind of thing. But, you know, when you look back on it, it was a whole lot of different things. In fact, People out there now that are thinking about you know they're kicking the tires of a business sometimes having a lot of resources can work in reverse because sometimes you waste money of course I think my situation owed it me well because we didn't waste money and we didn't waste time we couldn't everything was essential you know we wrung out every every opportunity Every call, every invitation, and it's, it's a philosophy that we had then and we have now. We don't turn nothing down, but our collar. I love that. You know, we don't, and we were out in the street, and then we had the mentality too. I was, a, I'm a big TV person, as you know personally, and so a lot, I spent a lot of my time watching uh, the National Geographics. One of my favorite, favorite people in the world is David Attenborough, and anyway. <laughs> He does other than the B B C and that kind of thing. And so you watch these lions go out and they try to they they try to kill and you hear the David Attenborough narrating saying, you know, out of so many hundreds of attempts, they're only successful two or three times and you're just thinking, Wow, we have that mentality too. We you know, if you don't kill nothing today, you don't eat. Yeah.
0: I mean, today someone gets to rejected one time, they feel like it's, it's, it's the end of the, of the world. world, right? It's the end of the world, end of their life. I'm, I'm a failure. Like, you know how many times people have told me to go F myself? It's, you know, I, I almost like feel like I'm not working hard enough unless I hear it, right? Like, you know, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions, building a business. Like, you have to be comfortable with being told no. And let alone, when you have no resources and you're to- told no, that can be detrimental. You know,
1: you gotta get, no means not right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, you got to be that person, and uh, you know, you have to be that person with that tenacity to keep coming back, keep coming back, keep your irons in the fire, and you know, all your senses about you. You know, you know, you you know, within five minutes of going into a room, everybody should know your business, mm-hmm. whether that's that's an architect design, whether it's somebody selling retail, telling if you're selling t-shirts. You know, for me, it was home care, and you know, I, you know, I, I would go to churches, I would go to senior centers, I would go to all kinds of health fairs. Um, and, yeah, I, you know, it, it's a lot of things that I do now from a charity standpoint that, you know, were a result of the early support. For instance, when I started the business, um, I, I was faced with a decision. I'll never forget it. Um, my daughter was about to graduate high school. And anyhow, um, she was looking at colleges. Mm-hmm. And so one of the entities, my daughter is, is legally blind. And so she started her education off at the Overlook School for the Blind. And anyway, um, well now she's in high school, she's in mainstream school, in Catholic school, and now she's looking at schools and that kind of a deal. And she got accepted to um, just about everywhere she applied, but the moral of this story is, Overbrook School for the Blind in Philadelphia um, connected us to the Delaware Valley of Lower Vision, mm-hmm. who gave my daughter a full paid scholarship to go to Boston University. And that out of state tuition at that time was $57,748 and some change. Yeah, you yeah. were looking at that, going, uh Yeah, listen. <laughs> and so um, when I started to make money, um, one of the very first donations I made was to the OSB um, school fund, and then they would invite me back. Um, now the teacher, Bria's teacher then is the principal now. And so they would invite me back to talk to parents, um, new, new parents oftentimes that had kids with low vision as baseline and a lot of times they had additional complex needs. Mm. And I just shared my testimony that I was in a quandary. Like, do I take this pot of savings, which was not a lot, um, because when you're unemployed, the first of the month comes around really quickly. Of course. <laughs> you know what I mean? Turn like, oh wow, it's the first of the month again, damn. What <laughs> what story I gotta tell y'all now, you know? Um, but not only, you know, did I talk to the parents, um, and t- share my my testimony. And like I had just this decision to make whether to use this pot of money to start a business or help with tuition. Mm-hmm. And so when I get finished telling my testimony it wasn't a dry eye in the room including mine because it came from a place of humility but with dignity too I guess mm. but ultimately you know they were they I turned around and said well won't you join the board I like I wasn't trying to sell a school out, you know? <laughs> but organically that's how things happen yep. and then you know Alzheimer's you know association came along and we started doing things with them and you know, I love animals. I, I currently have yeah, a farm.
0: I was going to ask you about that. So I know you have a farm. I haven't been yet. I feel terrible because uh, I haven't. But I will get there. You will come. So let's let's um let's switch gears for a second. I want to hear about this farm. I want you to tell people what sure. it's about.
1: So when I started, you know, when I really started to see the success of the business, my dream, ever since I was a little kid growing up in West Philadelphia, my favorite place in Philadelphia has always been the Philadelphia Zoo. Of course. And you still got the key? To uh, go listen, into the boxes. I still got two or three keys. <laughs> yeah. I still got two or three keys. Everyone remembers that. And yeah. so, um, when I started making a little bit of a little bit of cash, um, my dream was to to have a farm. Mm-hmm. And so I started a farm and and I didn't start a farm. I bought a farm and I just wanted to do kind of rescue animals. And I sort of, you know, you put a sign up that you're rescuing horses and next thing you know, you know you have a long line of people. Yeah, you got, you got trailers of horses coming. You got horses, ponies, donkeys, because you know, in, in horse world, if the horse can't be ridden, race, breed, or being shown, they get kicked to the curb in a really, a lot of times of they get kicked to the curb in a really bad way. Of course. Um, if they get injured, anything like that, because they're a big expense, they, they eat big and they boo-boo big. So I have a rescue farm. I have horses, donkeys, and ponies. I have, and I just wanted something cool, so I got alpacas. Yeah. Um, I got a couple of sheep. Um, now I'm down to one sheep. Laverna Shirley died. We're down to Squiggy. Um, so you didn't even get that. No. <laughs> this is for your time, too. Yeah. <laughs> Laverna and Shirley used to be a sitcom, Brian, okay. <laughs> and so we're down to Squiggy, I got four goats. I got nine barn cats and four dogs. And we live and coexist. Uh, my daughter left. left, um, she was w- working with me for a while and she decided she wanted to go work for the government and we going to leave it there. But um, it's just me right now on the farm with the animals. And we have a good time. I mean, a lot of people, it is a not-for-profit, it is a 501c3. Um, we accept donations to unclebeesrescuefarm.org. This you're listening. Um, and we support a lot of other local rescues. I'm filled to the brim now, honestly. Yeah. I could, probably couldn't accept any more How many more animals do you think you have total on the farm? Probably close to 50. Okay, that's a lot. Probably yeah. close to 50. A shout out to my barn manager, Alexandria, and then my weekend uh, barn manager or barn mother, uh, Sienna. <laughs> Sienna is my, my undergraduate student at Rowan, mm-hmm. who aspires to be, um, she's a biology major, but she wants to do shark tagging. Okay. You know, animal lovers travel in packs. You
0: got to start with donkeys before you go to sharks, if Listen, you're like, you know?
1: like, <laughs> She had. They both are wonderful because they love animals like I do. And for the most part, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, they're pet animals. You know, you just come out there, you pet them. I don't, I'm not a big rider. I give them apples and carrots and molasses and treats and that kind of thing. A lot of times I go out there and zen with them, especially if I had a bad day. Like today, for instance, my, my day now, when I get finished with you, I'll go home, I'll change clothes, and I'll go out and stick my head out there and see what's going even, on. Even even though it's 100 degrees out? And I might spray, alp- <laughs> alpacas love to be sprayed down, by the way. They love water. <laughs> Um, I let the dogs in. You know, dogs are in a kennel now. I'm outside and the, off the barn. It's really nice. in a nice scenario. You know, we did have a lot of shade before the tornado two years ago. It took down a lot of trees, but now you know we're kind of just exposed that way. Is that
0: like your way to reset in business? Like, do you feel like it that is farm absolutely. kind of like your zen zone? Like, it
1: absolutely. Is everyone
0: has like in business? Right? I've even like you got to find something that pulls you back and resets you, gets you out of you know because you get so twisted up on certain days like. Every
1: day. Every day. <laughs> you're either watching the show or you're a part of the That's show. Correct. And you know, for me and I just had a pond um built too, <laughs> um, with Koi, a Koi nice. pond. And anyhow, you know, go down there and just watch the, water, the waterfall. And it's really tucked away. I really, I'm, you know, GPS won't take you to my place. I have to give you directions how to get there. That was another thing. I wanted to be off of the latitude, longitude kind of a deal. It's extremely quiet. Coming from, you know, busy West Philadelphia, I wanted something really quiet and peaceful. But Zenin, you're absolutely right. And then you'd be surprised. I have people with, with kids and adult children that come out um, with the complex needs. We've had the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, the Brownies. Um, we've had other little smaller organizations. We've had reentry programs for women to come out there, and and this and everybody zins with the animals. Animals brings out, I think, sometimes animals bring out the best in us, you know, in a lot of different ways. But I, I love animals, and so anybody that wants to love animals and love on them, you come check us out.
0: I, I want you to talk a bit about because because, out of one of the guests I've had on the podcast, like you seem to give back a lot. In, in so many different ways so just in our short 15-minute conversation over like you start a business that's helping people in need right. you have a farm that's helping animals in need you're donating to charities you're sitting on school boards i just want to ask you a question because you know I, i'm 33 I, I've, I've i've figured it out to a certain point but i i've i have this like intuition that like as you put out in the right way it comes back tenfold is that true? Like, can you talk? Like, do you have any weird instances of things like you've done and like you, you see
1: something come back all, like, time. Yeah, all the time? Yeah, like... too many, too many instances. And and I do it because selfishly it feels good. Mm-hmm. I've always been a giver that way. Um, I, I I give two ways. One is the, the ultimate goal is to really give back to make a better society. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I got more years behind me than ahead of you. I'm, I'm 21 years older than you. Yeah do the math, and so um, I give sometimes to organizations that could benefit me passively with the business, yep. full disclosure, Yeah. Um. but it has to be a business that is helping people. I've made a, a multi-million dollar business um, dealing with people that are on Medicaid, which means that they're coming from a really moderate income scenario. And a lot of these programs help my workforce and my, my census, my, my client census. So I do that, and then I do things that are personal to me. Animals are personal to me. Mm -hmm. The Alzheimer's Association is both personal to me because I've had family that had Alzheimer's as well as a lot of my clients Mm -hmm. have Alzheimer's. So, you know, I, and I look up, I'm invited to that board. <laughs> um, lupus. I was invited years ago to sit on, iHeart invited me um, to sit on this panel. And i never forget, when I got back to the office, I was just sharing out loud to my then assistant Fatima about the experience, of, you know, learning about lupus, and then come to find out it was three or four people in the office that were suffering in silence. Wow and didn't say anything. And so we all hug. I'm a big hugger, yeah. I, you know, like like I love it. You know, I just, my, my emotions, you know, are sometimes overflowing and so I, you know, I'm a hugger and I'm a touchy-feely guy. And so I said, wow, we really gotta get involved and you know, different things like that. So I skate on the weekend. I said, let's do a loop of skating party. And so this is like probably, this will be like the 10th year that we've done a, a skating party. Oh, wow. I get with my good friend, Lady B, who does old school R&B on classics. And we go out and we do an old school skating party to benefit them of lupus um reading education um there's nothing more sadder than see a person that just came out of school that can hardly read so we get involved with literacy programs across the city um and we don't we don't shame anybody we meet we we have a reputation of meeting people where they are Mm Um, but we do a lot of things with financial literacy. I mean, because this is my workforce in, in some ways. My workforce in my community, I am Philadelphia all day. You know, You know, I am the cheesesteak, water ice, pretzels, <laughs> ribs, you know, kind of a guy. That is, this is my situation, right? You know, these days i got to watch what I eat. Yeah. But personally, that's another thing. I, You know, I'm a type 2 diabetic, so I get involved with that. Of course. The diabetic so. education, you know, because it benefits me personally. But then when you talk about it coming back to you, I think it's authentic, so people feel that's authentic, and they watch you for a while, and they say, "Oh no, he's really here." Yeah. cameras aren't rolling; we're just here, mm-hmm. and you know, people begin to trust you. And another part of it is too, from a business perspective, you become a resource, mm-hmm. um, a real transparent, you know, resource to people that look for different things that are out there. And you know, when you when you say something, generally people listen. Of course. You know, yeah. And I'm a fan of yours. I'm a big fan of yours. <laughs> you don't even know. You know, I, and I, I know you're interviewing me, but, you know, how we came to meet, you know, I was a fan. I said, wow, he just has so much confidence. And I just, in my life, I just really tried, just meeting you, I reflected at that point. Because we met about, what, 10 years ago? It, it was it was back, I think, in 2015. So, I think yeah. we met so what, 2015. eight years, eight years yeah, ago? Eight years
0: ago. Yep.
1: And so I'm thinking to myself, damn, this guy's in his 20s and he's running a whole company. And it made me reflect: What was I doing in my 20s? I had a new kid. I was, <laughs> I was working for a company called Chrysler, mm-hmm. Chrysler Financial. Um, I was just, I was in my MBA program. Um, but just, just you know, when you meet people, they say you're supposed to surround yourself with people that that you want to, you know, aspire to or learn from, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But I immediately, immediately wanted to make sure that you were in my circle, because Absolutely. you have had a really positive impact on me. And I just thought to myself, wow, I got to get my game together. I'm old, and this guy's. Meanwhile, in his 20s. I'm over
0: here saying so <laughs> I got 20 employees. This guy's got a thousand employees, <laughs> multi
1: businesses all around. But do you need a thousand employees <laughs> though? You know, to do what you guys do, you know, I need tentacles out there all the time. Yeah. You know, what, go ahead. What other what other businesses are you getting involved with?
0: I mean, obviously, an entrepreneur, stuff like you, you like I've, every entrepreneur I know doesn't stop; like they keep rolling no. and doing different stuff. What do you want to talk about? Any other stuff you're getting involved? With? Sure,
1: I talk about yeah. cannabis. Okay. I, I was awarded a cannabis license over in New Jersey, um, and it's going to be retail cannabis. We want to open up a dispensary once we can get past. Um, the location issue, you know, is a real strict way of getting into cannabis in terms of regulatory and that kind of deal. But I've run into a kind of a block a little bit, where the owner of the property that we were leasing during the application process now wants forty percent. Above the independent it, appraisal, he's sticking you up. He's going, "Yeah, oh, you and got sheep, your cannabis and approved, have, and they know what the land use is, and that kind of thing." Yeah. And so it's, it's a discrepancy on what what a fair market value is. But once we get past that, yep. hopefully soon, excuse me, hopefully soon, um, I want to open up can I want to sell weed. You know, that's that's you know, that's that's what I want to do. And and well, it's yeah. also helping people too. It's back. People don't realize it, but
0: there's the medical marijuana industry has exploded for reasons that I believe is because it works. It's not just because people want to get high. It's
1: and you know. in the same breath, believe it or not, Brian, it's having some some shortfalls because over on the west western side of the United United States, they're having some issues because they got too much product. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's only state by state, you know, hopefully it gets federal. Um our good president Biden has just signed it down, weed cannabis down to uh schedule three. Yep. So hopefully that'll get some movement at the federal level. But you know, different than than any other business, weed is taxed at the gross level yeah so. So, and so you know you got this this form for the people that are interested in it you can look up the form 280e um and do your own research but um you know that that causes some 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 trials and tribulations so it is a good business it is exploding but there are some trials and tribulations with it and you know one of them obviously is that everybody wants a piece of it but everybody doesn't want to get involved with mm-hmm. it so, you know, that that's one thing I want to do. And then I don't know. I um I'm I'm doing the I'm not going to open up any more locations for the home care. Um and that, that that's pretty much it. I, I want to do probably if I my my private, my very private I'll share with you, dream has always been to have an elephant. But you can't just have one, you got to have two. Cause they're a pack animal i want to have a place big enough are you, to have a are you do you have enough room on the far you have to kick out if I, some donkeys if, if i, I clear out, if i clear out a couple more acres i think i could work it out but i, like I said, I, I watch bbc i love animals have, so you, I...
0: have you been down to the shore in margate you seen lucy the elephant you know no
1: i was just down ventnor this past weekend i was just down
0: market. ac it's it's ocean city sorry okay. lucy the elephant it's a, it's a it's like
1: a real it's like an a elephant, big elephant that's a building Go into I did not know that. Yet. One of my places, um, three different couples that I know have gone to a place called, um, what's the name of it? It's over in Thailand. Fusheng or somewhere. I can't think of the name of it. But it's an elephant reserve there. And it's a tiger reserve, and you can go, and you can pet the elephant, mm-hmm. and you can pet the high, I think it's a high tiger. I don't think I don't think a tiger is, like, fully, like, lucid. I don't know. I mean, that, that's the verdict is still out there. Um, But people go over there, and they, they get with the elephants. You recognize. need, like, a license to have an elephant, like, in New Jersey? Like, if you yeah, just brought, like... You can't just have an elephant. You got to have game game approval. You know, because, you know, they chase the, you know, the, the animal activist people chase... The elephants out of the Philadelphia Zoo some years ago, because they said it was just um, not the right habitat, not enough room for mm-hmm. the elephant. And so, you know, what are you gonna do? Now, captivity in any in any event, captivity is captivity. Yeah. But if you're preserving what is an adan- a potential endangered species, it's perception's reality, right? It's whatever
0: way you want to look at. It. You want to look at that you're taking them away and you're you're putting them on display, or do you want to look at them say so you're preserving the species and you are know, bringing awareness to the species. To me, there's no right or wrong. It's
1: just your perception of what your reality is. An unchallenged perception becomes yeah. reality. Yeah. If you're not, if you're not somebody with some type of, um, somebody that's looking at things, you know, from a full weighted scenario, or you don't have any any type of, I don't know, and any type of inkling of of this looking at both sides of it. You know, curiosity, you know, on both sides, you're looking at it both sides. I think that's what's wrong with the world today. I think, you know, people only see what's in front of their world, what's in their spectrum. They don't take any consideration of it. You know, the intellectual curiosity sometimes for some folks is just limited. Some people, you know, could see the elephant's bed. Others could be like, wow, that's
0: this guy's life dream is to own an elephant. Like, I need to make that happen.
1: Right. I, I really, I mean, that's, if you ask me what my, you know, I have a farm. I've always, as even as a little kid, I always wanted a farm. I always wanted. I, I, I dreamed about it, you know. For a while, I was the only, the only, the only kid, you know, um, and in a big family. And sometimes you get lost in that. And I, you know, you dream and write. How many siblings do you have? I have two sisters. One sister is deceased, but one sister, older sister, with my father, mm-hmm. and then one younger brother with my mother. He's eleven years younger than me. He works for the company too. Um, but for a while, I was, you know, I spent a lot of time alone. Yeah. And I, and I don't mind it. I
0: mean, that's that's when, when I talk about, you know, people ask me like, well, how'd you do this? Like I, I, tr- I look back at the childhood, right? It's always, like literally people don't get it. It's always back to the childhood. But me, I, I was the only child. I was, a, I was by myself a lot too. I had a mother that she owned her own business. She worked a lot. I'm home till seven, eight o'clock tonight, some nights when she's not even home yet, right? Like you learn to be self-sufficient. So if you can be self-sufficient by yourself, well now like, when it comes to a business world, it's like I'm gonna figure this out. Almost, it's like I'm not gonna rely on anyone else. I'm gonna do this myself because it's been ingrained in us since early, early childhood.
1: And let me go back to something too. Let me let me point out something. You know, when you're a giver, you have to be weary of folks that are takers. Yep. And so I spend a lot of time these days hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to say it earlier, but I got off my my train of thought. But I am off the latitude and longitude because a lot of people that are disingenuous, you know, totally. want to, you know, when they hear that you're giving money, you know, you know, a lot of people want to kind of weight you down and that kind of thing. So I give the charity meaningful charities mm-hmm. to me, either personally or professionally or both but you have to be wary of that. And so I'm a loner, I, you know, I'm, and really kind of, you know, people would never guess it, but when I go home, I am alone, and I love it. I love it, man, I just you know, quiet, you know, my kid, one kid is grown, you know, but every time I turn around, I got people, I used to have, when my nieces and nephews were younger, they had time for me, but now they're kind of older. I might see them on week and I might not, but you know, for the most part, it's just me and the animals. Have you ever stopped to think about what your sphere of influence is every day? I have not. I have not. Um, like, how many I, people a day rely on Brian Green? That part I do. It is very important, some of the decisions. But every now and again, it comes back to me, you know, people um, approach me. Just today, in fact, um, I was leaving out of the office and I almost was late because people, I went to the office, everybody has something. They wait till I'm getting ready to leave. And, yep. Got this, da, 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 da. and so it was one woman, there's one older woman that was sitting quietly and she said, Are you Mr. Green? I said, who's yeah? asking? Right. <laughs> and so I didn't know, I didn't know what the scenario was. She says, I've worked for you for a number of years, but I never got a chance to meet you. And I'm really, am really proud of you and that kind of thing. And I was moved to almost tears. And I said, well, I'm a, a hugger. Is that all right? She said, I'd love to give you a hug. <laughs> and she gave me the biggest Hug. in the middle of my floor, in the middle yeah. of a call center. She was I don't know what she was waiting for. Um she could have been waiting for a timesheet or to talk to somebody about something. I don't know what it was about. Um, but she was saying, you know, and I walk past and little things like that. You know, or every now and again somebody or one of the kids, if I do something for kids and the kids write me a little letter, mm-hmm. they don't know me, and then, and then I got those kind of letters all, all throughout my house and yeah. my office. That motivates me. Um, I just bought this kid a. um, It's funny. I just bought this kid a a monitor Mm -hmm. for school, and Best Buy was having a sale. And I said, you know, one of the places I spend time at is Best Buy. Yeah. I I go in there just to look. I can't get any more TVs. Got enough TVs. (laughs) But I just, you know, sometimes the mood strikes you, and this kid wrote me the, the the. Mr. Green, you're so amazing. Blah blah blah. I thought to myself, Oh my God, just I didn't do it for that. Yep. But I just want you know. Sometimes the mood strikes you to help, and does it come back? Yes. And every now and again, you you it's kind like, of you and really, think of that kid in 15
0: years. You're gonna remember the day that that guy who loves elephants bought him a monitor, right? Like it's gonna it's gonna weigh on it. Like people don't think like that little thing that kid's gonna remember that for the rest of his life.
1: And that's what keeps me giving. Yeah. That's what keeps me. That's what keeps me in in the sphere. The sphere of influence for me is that you know we have a profitable business, um, we help people, it's a real, a real business that I'm proud of. We provide a service that I'm proud of. And I'm really proud, again, um, one of the things that I, I really get off on is the fact that it's multicultural. It's multicultural and it's intergenerational. Um, and as a minority black man, I'm proud of that because I, I can show in a little this small example that we're all small fragments of his imagination and we can all get along. You know, we may not all agree all the time, but we can all get along. If you guys have a little bit more tolerance and, you know, understanding. And then nobody, with with this business, too, the epiphany there is nobody is an expert at getting old. Mm-hmm. And every now and again, I realize that I'm older. <laughs> like, wow. You know, you say things like Laverna Shirley, you look, people look at you like, who's mm. <laughs> that? Hello you say Star and Hutch people are like, mm, yeah like, you don't watch me TV all waiting you don't know what that is yeah right <laughs> exactly and, but you know then but then at the same time um, you keep younger people around because technology is moving at the speed of light and so sometimes I need somebody to help me mm-hmm. navigate through my phone I'll be the first to admit it. I keep Jessica my assistant out to Jessica and you know, she's like and she she doesn't even say it anymore. And she gets so annoyed with her, she would say, You don't know how to do that? <laughs> like, fix the phone. I don't know how to huh. charge it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't, you, all you got to do is this and do all that. Yeah. so, you know, just different things like that.
0: Um, one of the uh, things I always ask, because I'm doing a little side thing, which will come out down the line. I want to know in business or whether it's your W2, what was the first time that you were like, Wow, I made $100,000? Is there like a time where you're like, Whoa? Like I did this by
1: myself, I guess it's different pinnacles where i've I've done different things, but um, she's gonna be so mad if she sees this about Cause she's such a private person, but you know when i when I paid some mortgages off, mm-hmm. I won't mention any name I paid some mortgages off um it didn't hurt to do it. paid some car notes off, um put some money to the side, retired some folks. It didn't have to be, you know. They would have probably worked a little, a lot longer than that. Was kind of like, okay, wow, and I still got a little bit of money left. Like, ooh, okay, and I'm still yeah. working. I'm right. still building. Yeah, right. That's yeah, amazing. you know, and and then you know to be able to take you no, know, because I I am the biggest homebody, um, you know. So I, I don't do cruises or anything like that. I don't want a boat. Um, I got animals, but you know when I when I made a check not too long ago to my Alma mater, one of my alma mater's, and I and I won't say which one because I gave a bigger check than the other one. <laughs> and I always get in trouble. Only been, social media gets you in trouble. Yeah. But anyway, when I did that, and they put a plaque on the wall um, to denote the donations that I had done up to that point, I think that was one of the first times I walked away. I was extremely emotional about yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Because I didn't, I didn't, I don't. I don't honestly do things for accolades. Yeah. It has if it moves my heart, me being able to give is enough. Mm. It honestly is. Um, I want you to respect the fact that I gave it, obviously for tax reasons, to so keep it real. Yeah. <laughs> and follow one C three. But, you know, when you do things like that, for me, it's just really being able to do it and just really I guess leave your imprint, you know, I'm not gonna be here forever. You know, that, and that kind of thing, for me, was kind of, I think, Brian, really, a couple of years ago, I did a donation. and It was like, yeah, it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do, and it was like, wow. And it was just about $100,000, maybe a little bit over. And I thought, oh, wow, did I just do that? And it took one of my friends, one of my very close friends, and we were like, you got money like that? <laughs> I want a car. Yeah. <laughs> what, are you... what? Are you kidding me? And I like I was like, nah. I, was like I, and I and I thought about it for a minute. And because we're close, we just bust, both bust out laughing. Yeah. We both had and he would never ask for any money, but he was like, damn, you did that? Wow. That's a nice plaque. Wow. <laughs> I remember when we was when we was helping people with their bags from from the local supermarket to get a couple of change. I said, Yeah, it's coming a long way. Where where do you think you get the giving in you from? Um, both of my grandmothers. My family's a given family, yeah. um, but my grandmothers, who I spent a lot of time with, mm-hmm. because I had, like you, I had a mother that worked. She didn't own business, but she worked two or three jobs, and she was a young woman. Um, one grandmother fed the homeless in her church until she couldn't get there no more. Wow. And my other grandmother was a nurse of a, kind of an intermediate center, um, and her sister was the cook. She Her sister was the cook, my aunt was the cook, and she was the nurse, and she always. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story now. My grandmother, who's probably gonna watch this, because my grandmother was on social media, believe it or <laughs> not, um, she's a she's my first patient down in Delaware, and I caught her giving money to an old caregiver that she didn't even have anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it was you know, I just I wasn't looking for it, but I found out that she was. I'm in charge of her, taking care of her. Mm-hmm. And she turned back to me and said, "You give, you help people too, who you want to help." <laughs> and my grandmother, that my that grandmother, reduces me to five years old yeah. every single time. Every I gotta, time. I gotta practice. <laughs> you have like saying, flashbacks, you're like <laughs> I got. I gotta practice saying no to her, and she knows it. Yeah. And then uh, she works me like old 45, And I and I and I got on her case. I said, "You gotta stop. You know, you 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 leaving breadcrumbs for these kids. But but people don't realize too, in some ways. It's a sense of esteem mm-hmm. to be able to help people. Oh, absolutely. And she's always been that way. My great-grandmother, my mother and I were just talking about that, because mommy's aging, and my great-grandmother used to reach in her bazaar and give somebody a $50 bill to go get a carton of milk. It was For her, it was reassuring. It was helping somebody, but it was also a, a, a way of esteem. But it get you in trouble sometimes. Cause it, every, it
0: can because you can overgive. You can overgive. You can definitely overgive, and people will take. And some people will take advantage. The big thing I, I see when people give, and uh, you know I, I follow a lot of different people too, but you need to get to a point where you give without expectation. Yes. Because if you give and have an expectation that you're supposed to get something in return, it's it's almost worthless because most of the time that usually never happens right in the world the sphere of the world right you do something and it goes to this person this person and before you know it it's it's intermixed and this person heard about it like but that happened that should happen without an expectation you shouldn't be like oh i'm going to donate 100 grand and to, to this college and they're gonna i want to i want the school to be named after me now they gave you a plaque but if your expectation that you were gonna write that check and now it's brian green's you know uh you know, f-
1: school of agriculture right like you know. It's like you know so many awards and accolades I've gotten I wasn't really expecting to get yeah honestly Uh, and it it takes people out too because they're like you know preparatory for the award whatever it is you say okay I had to get help writing a bio Mm -hmm. almost you know because I I could tell my story but then you know I I find it boring to Mm -hmm. some degree. Uh, you know, and my PR guy and his wife, um, his wife passed away in December twenty one, actually. And she would stand with me in the background, she said, You like that, don't you? You like giving She said, Oh my God, you really do and, and, and they would do all the writing after yep. that. Because if it was, if left up to me, it would probably be one sentence. Mm-hmm. You know, and I that's not being oh really being shy or anything like that. I could talk uh forever. Mm-hmm. You know, you put a microphone in front of mouth talk. But yeah. You know, you, well, I'll turn us on and then we'll get started here shortly. <laughs> sure. You know, but, you know, given, given sometimes this feels good and I sometimes just say, you know, I did it just because it was needed and I knew yep. about it. And then I often reflect, I, I'll give you another example. i give you a real example of who I am. You know, my mother for years, when she didn't have a babysitter, would take me to work with her and she worked in the hospital, mm-hmm. okay? But that's back in the days when, they, when when mommy said, sit there, don't you go to the bathroom until you come find me. You know, you sit there, do your spelling words until I come back. And that's what that meant. It wasn't mm-hmm. a whole lot of running around. Mm-hmm. We had that explanation, right? And so, because of that upbringing, I find it hard, whenever, you know, these caregivers, a lot of them are not supposed to bring their children to work, mm-hmm. it's a no-no, right? but I don't ever get into that disciplinary scenario myself that human resources people do, of course. but I find it very difficult to discipline them or even say something to them because I grew up
0: at my Absolutely. mom's job. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like that's something that doesn't happen anymore. Right. Like I did too. I mean, I'm 33, but I went, I was at my dad's deli. I was at my grandfather's diner. I went to my mother to her, her office in Allentown PA, right? Like I remember those distinct things and you sat there, you didn't have an iPad, you didn't run around and just play via like you, you're like, do your homework. Work on your essay. Do or or work or do something. And my dad's I used to wanna to make cheesesteaks and sandwiches and stuff, right? Like
1: And my grandfather exist, was my first like. boss. He was I was I miss him so much and he was hard on me I tell a lot of young people too and I'm not picking on my young people because I love y'all but y'all getting your feelings too quick want to quit you know my grandfather man if he caught you on the job site he was a painter and general contractor if he caught you on the job with your hands in your pocket he might go upside your head yeah You know, like he said, depending on his deal. He's an old boss, smoking a cigar, you know. And he was, would be standing out there. It would be him and the, and the and the electrician and the carpenter and the plumber. At lunch, they'd all be sitting around talking with their big suspenders and the and the and the, and the car hats and everything like that, talking about their next big job. Yep. And it would be a, a group of us apprentices, <laughs> and you know, and then somebody say, "Hey, asshole!" And you look. <laughs> Everybody's like yes. Everyone look, yeah. <laughs> yes, you know that's how But he taught me. He taught me work ethic. Yeah, you know, and I and I you
0: know it, I, that I, is my fear for the upcoming like the work ethic. Like everyone thinks it has to be handed to them. Like people are going to get steamrolled. They're not going to understand. Like especially with this like AI technology coming out and like everything's getting automated. Like people are going to start losing their jobs and it's going to be the ones that want to work a full 40 hour week the ones that want to come into the office and work the ones that care enough to keep educating and retooling themselves mm-hmm. right those are going to be the only ones that have a job yep. shortly like i i see it i'm a little worried so like when people are like, i don't want to come to work today i want to work from home i don't want like not i'm not i'm a little concerned for that. everybody I'm can't work from
1: home okay let me be the first one to tell you you know, and you, know, you you do see it. You do yeah. see, you know, sometimes in the younger folks, um, I don't know what it is. I, I haven't completely figured it out, but we are dealing with, as a company, one of the challenges today is what we call caregiver deserts. Caregiver uh, over Zoom? <laughs> caregiver deserts where there's no caregivers. You know, it's not a long line of people willing to wipe somebody's rear end or wipe somebody's nose or feed somebody, particularly a senior, a meal or something like that. Um, they have gone on to other things. Yep. You know, and so in certain areas, we call them caregiver deserts. Mm-hmm. And this was way before, um, way before COVID. Yep. Because you know that's why we now have a lot of family caregivers. Because you know we through the Medicaid program, you know as long as you have the power of attorney, guardian, or spouse, you can work through mm-hmm. the Medicaid program. But there is a definite caregiver shortage, um, and I think a, if you talk to most business owners, you'll find that there are labor shortages. Oh, there's,
0: there's shortages everywhere. I mean, I've been searching for a project manager. It's taken me almost six months. I think I found one finally. Before I used to put out a job description, project manager. I'd have four, five, six to look at, and they're all qualified. I put out a project architect job description, nope, doesn't exist. You put yeah. a, and you put out accounting, you put out like, it's crazy right now. It's like, where's everyone? what the hell is everyone doing?
1: Where are they at? Where, where the hell, hell is everybody? everybody? Like what happened? Like, that is, that is, yeah. That's a whole podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to get you yeah. some HR folks and figure it out. Yeah,
0: where the, where the hell is everyone hiding? <laughs> <Where> <laughs> what are they, are they doing? Because to... I want to do it.
1: <laughs> right, how are you surviving with no job? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, towards the end here, one of the things I always ask is like, what's like one little, one little nugget that you know someone listening that doesn't have their own business yet or is considering starting a side hustle or wanting to just jump into the deep end a little bit into their own business, like what's like one one Brian Green inspirational line or tagline you could give them if something of something that you've experienced in your short. Fifty-four years on this planet. I'm doing, <laughs> doing some
1: math in my head. Oh my goodness! I would say consistency is the hallmark of a professional.
0: <laughs> I feel like I should see that on a hallmark card.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you I know love what? that. Yeah, consistency is the hallmark. You, know, you are the master of your brand, whatever that brand is. You know, you you represent yourself. Mm-hmm. But consistency is something that you just have to be, especially if you're thinking about. And that, that doesn't that doesn't just go for an entrepreneur; it goes for anything you want to do, you know. And, and I, I find myself, you know, telling my daughter that not that she's not consistent, but I have to reach inside myself to give her advice how to how to be in the world and not work for me. Yep. Because that was hard for me. That was that was that was hard for me to let her go. Um, and let her go and discover the world. But then, I gotta be honest, Brian. I'm always kind of in my mind, what would I tell my younger self? Sometimes I don't feel accomplished. Quite frankly, I like, and I could do some more. When I meet a guy like you, I was the, that's a true story. I met you. I was like, wow, what was I doing? What did I could I've opened up a business? You know, you know, this guy is is doing it. Like, you know, I, you know, what, what's the DNA that that gets you in the 20s and want to do your own business? I was content with working with somebody, but that was some time ago. Mm -hmm. But now I would just say that if I had you ask me my one nugget to anybody, whether you're trying to work for somebody, whether it's government, healthcare, science, um, Mm -hmm. entrepreneurial, consistency is the hallmark of a professional.
0: And that's consistency across how you operate, how you start your day, how
1: you end your day, all of it. Ethic, how you treat people, you know, how you want to be treated. Are you self-aware of yourself? What makes you comfortable? What makes you thrive? Um, and really strive for that, that euphoric moment. I love
0: it. I'm just thinking of this episode, just reading back, we got plaques on school buildings, elephants, donkeys, (laughs) in-home healthcare, Medicaid, Medicare. I do want Um, an elephant. Wow, wild story, bro. I mean, it's honestly, you think yours part, like there's people listening right now, Jesus, this guy started, got laid off in 09, started from scratch and literally built one of, if not the largest in-home healthcare and PA right now, right? Like is it, you're it. Well it's no, crazy. I don't wanna say that. I
1: mean, <laughs> I mean we're, si- we're sizable. Close to it. For the franchise itself, for the for the individual franchise yeah. we're always best care, we've been number one of eleven years. Love eleven it. out of the thirteen years I've been in business. That that's accomplished. There are bigger there are there are bigger franchises or bigger companies out mm-hmm. there, but you're right. To look at it, say it like that. We started in a negative. Okay. And, and and but I was just telling somebody today, you know, um, when you're some you're telling somebody on Wednesday that payroll might be a little late on Friday and they still hang in there with you. Yep. And I you know, we went around the table for introductions. I was talking to some new owners over in South Jersey across the river, and I had quite a few people that worked for me over ten years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was the, you know, back then it was a dark time. It was the uncertainty, are we gonna make it? You know, and then when we started to make some bread and started really doing their things you know, he asked the same questions. And he, he just hugged, him and his wife just hugged me like, you know, they were feeling so low. Like, I, and I, I said, no. I said, you go through these growing pains. Trust me. <laughs> Everybody sees the success, but you have no clue, you know, the many sleepless nights. And I was telling somebody that's just today, I said, you know, I used to have a futon in my office. And I only went home when I used to, when I used to offend myself. When I was like, it's time to take a shower. You no, know, I just couldn't let it go. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I mean,
0: I, I there was a point where my office was literally ten feet from my bed, I, and I had interns <laughs> showing up. And I'm like, I'm rolling out of bed, going right into the office, like. And then it was like, all right, it's five o'clock, six o'clock, still working, still two a.m. working. Next morning, up at ten again, like running it, like it's what it takes to get it going. People don't like you; just don't snap your fingers, and it's it looks like YouTube and all these influencers. Like that's all bullshit. It's that's few and far between. Like what it takes to. Re- f- build a real business is a lot of sleepless nights.
1: A lot of sleepless nights, you know, and and true, when you like what you're doing, it doesn't feel like work, but when you're getting it started, Whew. I even tell people now, you know, if somebody comes to me now and says, you know, Brian, I'm thinking about starting my own home care agency, what do you suggest? I say, well, instead of starting one from scratch, since it's an oversaturated market, why don't you look for somebody that's willing to retire yeah. or ready to retire? That way you're buying a book of business as opposed to starting from scratch. cuz starting from scratch these days, you know, like, you know, oh, you wow. and I have that, that mentality You jump out of the airplane with no, without no parachute and you're fixing it on the way down, yep. hoping that you you have it before you get to the ground and mm-hmm. go splat, you know. Now it's just, you know, honestly, I I find myself telling people of all businesses, especially couples. Mm-hmm. Um, to my couples that are listening out there, you know, it's not always a good idea to get in there if you're not self-aware or you don't have defined roles. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes the business has a way of. Um, impacting your relationship and the rise and fall of business may impact your relationship the same way. You know, you know, you have the good days, and you have the bad days, and you don't want that to impact your relationship. So, i, I, I got quite a few people. It's funny to me. A lot, of, a lot of people that are retiring, um, approach me like I'm. Me and my wife are retiring. We want, We're thinking about starting a senior business. Well, don't think because it's a senior business that it's an <laughs> easy business because it is absolutely right. not. Right. If you have seniors in your life, and you know what I'm talking about. You, are you responsible for somebody that's an elderly person? You know that it's more than a notion. There's still people that still have opinions, and they still want to kind of do it. Nobody's an expert at getting old.
0: Well, Brian, I just want to say thank you. Seriously, thank inspirational. Thank you for having me. Thank you for I having think there's me. a lot of nuggets that people are going to pull out of this and you know, I, I, think, I think, again, back to this giving, you just gave a lot of information to people that uh, hopefully are going to do, do, do positive
1: things with it. Thank you so, for having me. Thank, so, of, thank you for thinking enough of me to, th- to let me tell my story. It is a real story. <laughs>
0: appreciate it. Thank you. Peace and light. <laughs>